So I hope you guys recognize how much work goes into this so that we can have the enjoyment. Uh, Today, we're going to be dealing with something that's very uh, down home, I guess I'll say. And the reason I call it down home is because it's a situation that we are encountering on a daily basis. In fact, sometimes more than once a day. Yesterday, with my wife and I, we encountered it at least three different times. And what we're going to discuss is this issue of poverty or homelessness. We're in a series where we talk about how to be a neighbor. Who is my neighbor? What does it mean to be a neighbor? How do we love our neighbor? We're taking that out of the Good Samaritan story that Jesus speaks to us on and tries to help us understand a few things. You see, the focus that Jesus tries to help us get a hold of is that those people around us that God has placed in our sphere of influence are our neighbors. And outside of that, many others fall into that same category, and we need to respond to them with that understanding. So last week, we talked about neighbors in our struggle with prejudice, where we have neighbors who may be black or they may be Spanish, or they may be whatever identity it is that we feel is different from ours. Today we're going to deal with this identity of poverty. What about our neighbors that are struggling with poverty? This recognition that they desperately need not a handout in their life, but they need to establish a home. That's why I like the term homeless. What that means is they have no place that they can call their own. They're homeless. So they're standing out there with some kind of bucket or a sign that says, please help me, I'm a veteran. Please help me, I have nothing. Please help me, I don't know what to do. And you drive up in your car and you try to decide, do I roll down the window or not? Do I give them a dollar or not? Do I give them $5? Do I give them $20? Do I not respond to them at all? What do I do? And for many of us, we avoid eye contact, don't you? It's just like they're over there and we're kind of like, we're looking around, (laughs) waiting for the light to change, waiting for the car to move ahead so we can get out of this uncomfortable situation. Because we don't know what to do. See, the problem isn't so much them, it's us. I'm just not sure how to respond. Lord, what should I do? Mary and I were uh, gone back from a drive. We were down in Arizona. We were coming back, and we went through McDonald's. And after we got done with McDonald's, we pull out, and here's this young man sitting here. He's got a little sign. Can you help me? Anything will, anything will help. And Mary goes, oh, I'll roll down the window. I'll roll down the window. And she gives him a dollar, and, and we drive. And there's another guy. And we look at the other guy, and she goes, do you have anything? I said, all I have is a 20. Now, if I was really spiritual... I would have given him the 20. I didn't feel spiritual. I just kind of went, sorry, out of change. And we drove on. And afterwards, I felt what? Exactly. I felt guilty. Lee, you cheap. What, what was 20 bucks to you? <laughs> it was like, it's nothing. It, it was no, no problem. I don't normally even carry cash, but I had it this time. I, I could have given it away. And I go, but is that... What God has called me to do. Has God called me to give handouts? Or has he called me to provide somebody with some help? You see, we're called by God as his church to empower the poor. 
There's no question about that. I love this, this Matthew section. It's in the first year outline. If you don't have your outline in front of you, pull it out. Or you can go on your phone. You can get it on there under events, uh, under your, your Bible app there. And you pop it up and you go to events and then it'll pop up Lighthouse. And you'll see all that stuff on there. It gives you all, that has all the answers in it, by the way. So all the fill in the blanks are in that form for you if you choose to do that one. But it starts off with this Matthew 25:40 verse, which is primary, primary for us today. And it says this, and I want you to read it with me. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So let's read it together. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You see, we talked about the Good Samaritan in this story here, and it talks about the issue of problems and brokenness in our life. That's why he's on the side of the road, because this brokenness is taking place in our lives and the lives of others. People that would choose to take what he had because they demanded he give it to them. And this brokenness is pervasive in our society today. We have broken relationships. We have broken promises. We have a broken understanding of how to respond to everyone and everything. We have broken jobs. Brokenness is a part of the reality where God tries to tell us that we live in a fallen world. It's a world filled with sin and struggle. And we will have to deal with that every day of our lives, but we can deal with it. So Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You're called to deal with this issue. I will empower you to empower others so that they can get through this. Now, we recognize that we can't save anybody. Only Jesus can. We can't change anybody. Only Jesus can. So the key is that we allow them to change that broken relationship they have with God And have it renewed so they can begin to understand how to live life and be empowered by God with a new mindset, with a sense of hope and purpose and calling and direction. That's what it is. We are not the Savior, but we know who the Savior is. Do we get that? So that's the calling. That person was on the side of the road, didn't need so much me to give them $20. They needed me desperately to share with them in a relationship of, hey, this is how God desires to work in your life and what he can do for you, and find a renewed sense of hope, a renewed sense of hope and and direction in their life. Back in the 70s, there was a big music came together, and the musical was this, and it was talking about this same concept, and it said, Jesus' people come together, let your light shine. And, And that was the cry. And what it was trying to say was, We're not able to empower anybody until God empowers us. And then we can share with them how he can empower them as well. All right, if you've got your outline here, I'm going to help you out real quickly. Because I know some of you need to fill in the blanks. So I'm going to help you fill in the blanks right off the bat as we walk through this picture of what is poverty. You see, Americans tend to describe poverty as a lack of something material. I don't have a, therefore I am poor. Okay? Now that's relative. We'll talk about a little bit more of that in a second. Second of all, a world survey of over 60,000 people determined that truly poor see poverty as a mindset. Poverty as a mindset. 
It's the way people who are truly poor think and respond to life around them. It's a mindset primarily for those that are truly poor. And that's why you can go to Nigeria and other places and find these incredibly happy, excited people who don't think of themselves as poor because they're not. But they don't have anything. They have enough to survive on and they're delighted with it. They're far happier than the majority of you are. They are. They have far more than you have because they've grasped a hold of the truth of what Jesus meant by his directive to us, I've come to give you everything that you might have life and life in its fullness. And they're discovering that. And the material possessions are not a big deal. That's why Jesus said, foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has nothing. No place to lay his head. Jesus had nothing. Jesus was homeless. But he wasn't homeless. He just didn't have a place to live. He didn't have a place to go to. But he had a purpose and a direction God given him. And that made him one that was filled with hope. All right? So the root of poverty is brokenness. The root of poverty is brokenness. And understanding that the issue in life is a recognition that we live in this broken world. And that we are broken people involved in broken relationships trying desperately to be healed on a regular basis. Jesus, God our Father, is trying desperately to heal us in our relationship with Him, in our relationship with one another, our brothers and sisters, and then in our relationship with our sphere of influence outside of our brothers and sisters. That's God's directive to us. So I filled in all three of those blanks for you. I hope you got that. That's your three blanks. That's out of the way. The other side we'll get to later because that one's easy. All right? I didn't want you to get all hung up on the first beginning here. Poverty is relative, isn't it? My son says, I'm so poor, I don't, have an, I don't have the latest iPhone. Mine is a 6S, not a 7. Wow, poverty. I'm so poor, I don't have an iPad. I'm so poor, I, I have a garage door opener, you know, instead of, a, instead of an actual cell phone and make people think that it's really a cell phone so they won't know I'm so poor. You can go on and on. How poor are we? You can have fun with this whole thing. Uh, those of you that are over 40, this was a fun one that I just read recently. It said, and I said, yeah, I got it. Some of you won't get this. Some of you older ones will. I'm so broke, my baloney has no first name. Some of you don't have a clue what I just said. You're going, what? You can ask somebody older later and they'll explain it to you. Okay? I'm so broke, I rub cologne from magazines on my shirt. And when people come up and say, you smell so good, what is that? I say, page five. <laughs> that was, if you go Google it, you'll get that one, actually. Uh, this one says, I'm so broke when my friends saw me and said, you lost your shoe. I said, no, I found one. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Poverty, it's all around us. We go to Mexico and we begin to see real poverty. We go to Nigeria, we see real poverty. We have a whole different take on what is poverty and what is not. People living in shacks, people living in cardboard boxes, uh, people not having a toilet, just, a, just a, a hole in the ground that everybody goes to to defecate, you know, to urinate. And you're just like, oh my goodness. This is so poor. And for many of them, they're, they're like, 
what are you talking about? What are you talking about? I grew up quite poor. I didn't know I was poor until I was about 12. I had no idea. I thought everybody was, well, I thought everybody had peanut butter every day of the week. You know, we had this big thing of peanut butter. You have to stir it. It's a five-gallon thing. And you stir it all up, get, get the oil out. And we had peanut butter all the time. That's, that's what you had. That was it. And we had potatoes because potatoes were really cheap. And we, so we always have French fries. We had this big dipping thing, and you drop the, the fries in. We had great fries. They were really good. I'm sure they were not good for you, but they were good. I, I didn't know I was poor. I, I was quite comfortable. Roof over my head, had clothes. I, I was angry because when I got a little older because I couldn't wear the label stuff. You know, when I, I grew up, I don't know you guys, they had Gantt shirts. And they had these little Gantt tags on the back of it. And that's how you knew you were cool. If you had a Gantt shirt with your little loopy thing on the back, then you were cool. My mom would fake it. She'd make these shirts and she'd put the loop on the back. <laughs> there you go, honey. I'd go, uh, can't wear that, mom. I said, what do you mean? You got the tag and everything. I said, yeah, can't wear that, Mom. Poverty. You know, it's, it's relative in terms of what we are, what's going on. So we recognize not all poor are unhappy or feel rejected or lost. Only the truly poor have this interesting statement, a pervasive sense of loss and shame. A pervasive sense of loss and shame. So what I want to do today... My intention, my, my desire is for us to grapple a little bit with what does it mean to deal with homeless and the poor and try to get us to the place where we can come make some decisions where God is directing us and how we need to respond to the poor that are around, around us. And so I've, I've got a little bit of help here. It's going to come up in just a minute with us. But Matthew 25 is where Jesus speaks to the issue of the judgment day. In Matthew 25, he speaks to the issue of the judgment day, and we just quoted the last verse, the last verse of three parables that he shares. The question was asked of Jesus, Lord, what will happen in the end? And he starts off and he begins to share these parables. Jesus always does this, has these incredibly in-depth parables that we're looking at, and we get done, we look at him and go, huh? What? Are you kidding me? I don't understand you. Until later, and illumination comes. The first story in Matthew 25 is, is a story about virgins and a bridegroom. Brides and a bridegroom. There's only one bridegroom, but there's many brides. You know the story? We've all sang the song, Give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning, burning, burning. Maybe you didn't sing that song. Okay. But anyway, <laughs> if you're a little older, you sing that song. And I never understood it, but it seemed like a fun song to sing. It was, it was like it was a kick, it was a camp song. We do our thing. That song was about the relationship that we have with God as His bride, and Jesus as our bridegroom. And that relationship is such that every day it gets deeper and deeper and deeper. So every day I talk with my spouse, who is my bride now. But before that, you remember what happened? The months before you got married, it was literally twenty-four-seven. All the time. Will you get off the phone? Will you, can't you live without talking to this person? It was like, oh, no, all the time. That's what Jesus is talking about. The, the bridegroom comes to see the brides, and the bride had no relationship with him. He says, so these group of brides that were there, they had no oil in their lamp, and they had to leave to go get some more oil to go build a relationship with Jesus in some way or manner outside. And these that were there had plenty of oil in the lamp. The bridegroom shows up. He says, come into my kingdom. You're with me forever. 
And he turns to the others that try to get in later and he says, I never, what? Knew you. I never knew you. That relational level of interaction with God and Jesus is what he's speaking to here in relationship to the end time. The first thing he says, when we talk about end times, is you need to know who I am and build that relationship with me. So we talk about devotions and all these things that help us to develop that relationship with God on a regular, consistent basis. Then he moves to the second story. It's getting tougher. It gets a little tougher. Second story is one that's called, it's about the parable of the gold bags or about some people use the talents here it's about finances and it says this manager so the first one's a bridegroom it's all relational the second one is the manager and the manager gives to his various servants various amounts of finance gold he gives you a thousand dollars he gives you a million dollars he gives you two million dollars he says okay now you guys i gave you each according to your ability to work with it take that work with it when i come back tell me what happened he comes back, and the guy who got a million dollars and two million dollars has doubled it and tripled it, and he goes, wow, well done. Good job. You guys are marvelous. You're incredible. I am so pumped about you. He turns to the guy who he gave the thousand dollars to, and he says, how did you do? And he says, well, you know, I knew you were a tough master, and I just, I just dug a hole in the ground, and I put it in there, but here it is for you. I'm giving back to you just what you gave to me. And the master says, you foolish, worthless Dumb servant. If I would have wanted to stick it in the bank, I would have done so. I gave it to you to use according to your abilities. And you didn't. You didn't care for anybody or anything. All you did is live your life as a hermit. And then it was over and you come to me. Why didn't you use all these gifts and abilities I gave you? All these finances in your life. Second story. A little tougher than the first story third story he comes to is the toughest story of all. And this one, it says, and now the king. So we've gone from a bridegroom to a manager. I go, okay, we're still good. To the king. This case, he comes to the king and he says, I divided the group into sheep and goats, into the butts and the baths. You want to be a ba, you want to be a butt. You get the idea, right? Okay, but, 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 no, no butts as Christians. We just say, yes, Lord. No more butts. We just say, yes. Okay, so that's the picture. These lambs, those who follow my directive. And he says, wow, why are we over here and they're over here? And he says, the reason you're over here and you're over here is because these people chose to care for me specifically to me as my brother and my sister on a regular, consistent basis. So he says it like this in this last section. Come. You who are blessed by the Father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. You invited me in. I needed clothes. You clothed me. I was sick. You looked after me. I was in prison. You came to visit me. And the righteous will answer, well, Lord, when did we do that? Do you see this relational aspect? Lord, when did we do that to you? I remember doing that to you. Jesus said, when you did this to the least of my brothers and sisters... You did the same to me. I'm going to give you a first category here because there's, there's two aspects of this particular parable. It's first and foremost about the church. That's why I use the term brothers and sisters of mine. It's first and foremost about the church. You see, our sphere of influence goes forward all the way. And so as you walk through the scriptures, you do this over and over again. You're to take care of your family. You're to take care of your church family. You're to take care of the next sphere of influence, those people that God has you interact with. Step, step, step. 
That's the calling. That's the directive. Those are our responsibilities. It's not that we don't have responsibility for those that are outside there, but our first responsibilities are, as Paul says, if you don't care for your family, you're worse than an infidel. You take care of your family. You take care of your brothers and sisters in the church. Or what's the point? And then he says, now you take care of those outside of there and build that up. You can see the process of building up and growing and developing so we can do this. And that's the calling of the church. The church then is called to be light to this world and things. He goes on to say, Jesus says, Lord, when we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and we gave you something to drink, when do we see you a stranger and invite you in or eating clothes and clothe you? And the king will say, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And he'll say to those on his left, depart from me. You're cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels, not for them, for the devil and his angels it was prepared. I was hungry. You gave me nothing. I was thirsty. You gave me what? Nothing. I was a stranger. You didn't invite me in. I needed clothes. You gave me what? Nothing. I was sick and in prison. You didn't look after me. Well, Lord, when did, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or in prison? Well, whenever you did not do that for one of the least of these, you didn't do for me. You didn't do for me. Wow. That's, a, that's, that's one of those what I call guilt verses. I read and I go, okay, Lord, I want to take care of my family. I want to take care of the and, and the homeless guy. What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to do this? What's the next step for me? Well, wedding story, bridegroom comes. We talked about it. It's about relationship. See, you've got to build this relationship. If you have this relationship with me, you will be doing the right things in the right way on a regular basis. Because you love me. You walk with me. I walk with those around me. You'll understand what to do. Manager. Oh, I'm going to provide you with all these finances, these abilities, these talents, these treasures, all these things. And you'll know what to do with them because I will clarify to you as you continue to walk with me. You'll know what to do and how to do it. The king comes in. Oh, good. I recognize who you are. You're the sheep. It's obvious you're the ones who've been doing all this stuff all along because you have a relationship with me. Your brokenness was overcome by your relationship with me. It's all about relationships that begins with a broken relationship we have with God that he pulls back together. So as we submit to his directive in our life, we begin to gain healing and he puts our broken pieces back together. He puts the puzzle pieces back in step by step by step by step by step. And we experience life as it was meant to be. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. If anyone, John says, has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, again, he's talking about the church primarily. I want you to get that. Has no pity on them? How can the love of God be in that person? He's saying, if you don't feel any guilt, you need to take a look at yourself. Yeah, I needed to feel guilty. The Lord was kind of telling me, yeah, Lee, you should have given him the 20. I just, yeah. Now, listen to the relationship again. Let God speak to you each one in each situation. It can be difficult, but it'll be there. God calls us, the church, to be the light and hope of the world, to take the resources he's placed within our care and our management to love others out of poverty into a place, the term he calls shalom, into a place of shalom or wholeness, completeness. So life begins to have meaning and understanding 
and rest, shalom. It's all the way around. So our life begins to circle correctly. So that's the primary focus here. But the issue becomes with this. I go, well, Lord, what do I do with this poverty guy? I give him money, and then I notice him later on, and he uses that money to buy alcohol, and he gets drunk, and he destroys his life with it. Was that what I was supposed to do? There's a great book here called When Helping Hurts. It's a wonderful book, and it's dealing with the issue of understanding how we are to respond to the poor around us, to those who are in need, understanding appropriate responses that although we as Americans tend to see poverty as a lack of something material, those who are truly poor do not need more material. They need to change their mindset, and our job is to help them understand exactly how to do that, how to take away this sense of shame and worthlessness, how to begin to build in their lives a way that they can become uh, empowered. Last story, as I do here, and I'm going to have Ian come up. During Christmas, we always like to do the Christmas thing. No, we, we, do all, we, all, we do this great thing. We do the Christmas tree thing, and you guys give money, and we have all these cards. and It, it makes you feel good, doesn't it? You're like, yeah. So I do, we get all these cards and this stuff. And so we had, the youth always had this family. We had this family they'd work with, and, oh, we're going to give to this family, and it's such a neat family, and they gave to them all these presents and everything. And it seemed to work really well. The, the husband was happy about it. Everybody was, seemed to be excited about the whole thing. There wasn't any sense of shame. It was like, oh, wow, that was pretty cool. And we decided to video the whole thing here a couple of years ago. So we did the video and showed it up on the thing. We said, look at this video. And all of us said, yeah, it's so cool, so cool, except for one person in our congregation. And one person in our congregation, and I won't tell you who they are. Maybe they will later. Anyway. He came up to me and he said, you know, Lee, I need to tell you something. And I said, what? Do you know the family you helped out there? And I said, yeah. I said, they had a neat family. You know the guy? Did you see the dad? And I said, he said, I said yeah. He said, he was my dealer. I said, what? Yeah, he's still, he's, 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 he's our dealer. <laughs> I went, oh, great. Yeah, he brings it up from Mexico. And <laughs> I went, helping without hurting. You see, we don't live in these people's area. We, we don't know who they are who they aren't. I, I know nothing about them. I'm just there to help them because it makes me feel good. But in reality, it wasn't helping them much at all. Ian, Steve, come on up, Ian. Ian is with us today, and Ian is the founder of a group called Trellis. Here's your spot, buddy. There it is. Grab that one. Make sure that thing's turned on. goes red when it's on. Bingo. Good stuff. Ian uh, started this ministry in Trellis. He, when I knew him before, he was a pastor over at the Crossing Church, and our sons were uh, interacting together in school. And so we had some, some good conversations, and I rejoiced over his ministry was taking place here at the Crossing. But then he felt a calling. So he's going to tell us a bit about that. How did you end up with Trellis, dude? That's a big deal. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about, because I knew you were going to ask me that question. Yes, and, so Trellis really emerged, and you guys don't even know this, but it emerged right from your campus. Uh, Pastor Eric actually used to be part of a prayer group, uh, and there was a group of us that had been praying together for about 15 years in the city for the city. It was pastors, leaders, and uh, we would meet at different churches. And during that season, we were meeting in your conference room across the way, upstairs, and uh, we were praying, and um, you know, we brought up in the prayer group 
guys, you know, we've been praying long enough, and faith without works is dead. So let's move this beyond praying, and let's start doing some things together. So from that, um, we shared with a group of people. Trellis sort of started emerging. We came up with the mission statement. Um, We started moving, and it just kept, that was in 2011 when we kind of started that, and it just kept going. And so as it kept going and growing and more was happening, it got to a point where I couldn't. And then they nominated me to of be course. the point yeah. guy. Yeah. Um, I couldn't keep doing what I was doing at the crossing and doing this at the same time. So God was very clearly saying, Ian, this is what I want you to take a step of faith. I want you to go for this. So, okay. so last what are you September. Doing? Well, what we're doing, um, trellis is, you know, just like the word implies, it's a structure. We're trying to create a structure that helps the body of Christ come together in the context of the city. Our mission is to resolve the city's greatest challenges by mobilizing Christ followers. So we're trying to mobilize Christ followers from around the city in three particular ways. First of all, it's praying for the city. Most Christ followers don't pray for their city. They don't know who to pray for, what to pray for. They don't pray regularly, consistently. We want them to pray. And then secondly, it's just love your neighbor, like you're talking about today. Most Christ followers we found don't even know their neighbors. They don't even know the ten people that live around them. Never mind love them and care about them, care about the single mom or the shut-in elderly person. We don't even know them. And then the third thing is engage in the city's greater challenges, Mm. one of which you're hitting on today, which is homelessness. So um, we we have groups of churches, people from various churches, different ministries working together on some of these issues. Great. Um, And homelessness is is probably our biggest uh, arena. Now, he's got a table in the back. If you go up there where you did your initially your name tags, now it's become a trellis table. Okay, it evolved. And so you're going to go back there and be able to get some materials and opportunity to understand what is this ministry, what's taking place there, and how can I be involved in it if God is calling you to be involved in it. In our time of quietness today, we're going to have a normal about five, ten minutes. Have a chance to pray and think about it. If the Lord stirs you, then you know what to do. You'll get up and you'll walk back to there and you'll check on that table and you'll talk to Ian or whoever's there. And tell him, I'd like to understand this more. I'd like to get involved in that. And he will direct you on how to be involved. Last comments. Anything you got, buddy? Well, you know, just the, what you're, you're hitting on, Lee, is so great. You know, that it, it really is relational. And uh, what you need to know is that it's understanding how to engage relationally that's going to make the biggest difference. So there are ways that that can happen. Um, and as Lee, I think, is going to hit on here in a few minutes in his message, it, it really is about that kind of engagement. And it doesn't have to be intimidating. Um, it, there's ways that you can engage uh, through the check-in center, uh, through what we're doing on Saturdays at LOTS with our community impact team, where you can actually come alongside some, some homeless people that are wanting to move forward, and you can make a difference with them. Um, but it, it does require showing up. Yes, it does. Yeah, and, yes, does. and that's the hard part. So, man, just uh, keep listening to Brother Lee here as he's uh, given the word, and, and I hope that maybe Trellis can uh, be of some support to you all as part of the body of Christ as you look at how 
to engage more with what's really going on here in our city and our community. All right, let's give him a hand. Give him a hand. Thanks, Ian. Appreciate it, buddy. You know, when people come to our church, we put together this care resources. When somebody comes to our church, we probably have somewhere between five and ten people a week show up. Uh, sometimes it's less. We'll have a couple. Sometimes it's more. We'll have it. Just seems like the never-ending stream. Like, whoa! Everybody told everybody else, "Yeah, they've got cards today. Come and get your ten-dollar gift cards." We give out a ten-dollar gift card from ninety-nine cent store because they don't sell alcohol there. And so, <laughs> we, we discovered ways to get around some things. So we do that here as a church, and that's where your benevolence giving comes into play. So we give about, oh, some. What, what do you think, Eric? What? How much? What do we give? Five, six thousand more a year? Yeah, at least we give out in that in that term five to six thousand at least a year. We have one um, person who gives every year a large amount that goes right into benevolence. All that goes into and there's a church we put more in there to keep it going, trying to help people in a variety of ways. Sometimes it's for a place to stay at night. We don't advertise that too much because as soon as I give one person a place at night, we get a motel. It's like the next day I have five new people. Hey, I heard you. And we go, wow, is this interesting? Uh, we also give out this care resources term. This is all the various numbers for various groups that are involved in ministry in Costa Mesa, how they can get involved, how they can get taken care of, things are used there. So when you come to our place, we try to do a variety of things to try and move you in the right direction, but we feel that we need to do more. We need to do more. As I said, this book here called When Helping Hurts talks about this issue of brokenness and how we can begin to respond to people that are experiencing that sense of, of brokenness, where, where their life isn't working right, where their relationships are not working right, where everything seems to be, what do I want to use the term? Broken. Okay? So that's what we're talking about. Now, we understand we live in a broken world, and that broken world continues to filter in more and more broken relationships, and God is the one who can heal them. So at the root of all poverty is this word that I've used three times now, and it's called what? Brokenness, exactly. Okay? Broken relationships with God, with ourselves, with others. Jesus can break the chains that hold us back from establishing a relationship with God. And that's why when he begins his ministry, he goes to the temple, he walks in, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he says, today this has been fulfilled in your eyes. He's speaking to the broken relationships that we have with God. The sin-filled, painful world. And he says, I've taken care of it. Check. Done. All you need to respond is to respond to me. Our broken relationships with ourselves, the sense of low self-esteem, shame, guilt, all those issues that come in our life. He says, come to me. Done. I'll take care of that. I'll remove that from you. Broken relationships with others. Self-centeredness. Exploitation. Done. I've taken care of that. I will restore you. Broken systems. Political, economic, social, spiritual. Boy, are we experiencing that right now? Do you see this brokenness all around us? Everybody's just at each other. You this. You that. You this. I'm like, whoa. Broken. It's all broken. Jesus, please heal us. 
bring healing to your nation. Bring healing to our homes. Bring healing in our relationships. Christ saves. Christ heals. Christ sets us free. And poverty, these various aspects of poverty, is a result of brokenness. You need to understand that when you're dealing with poverty. There's all different types of brokenness. But it started with Adam and Eve when they sinned with God, and it placed into our world a brokenness that's pervasive now. That's why it was such a big deal for Jesus to ride into Nazareth and say, Today is the day. This is it. I'm proclaiming to you freedom, hope, relationship. Never could happen before. Now it can happen. I fulfilled everything. The root problem of poverty is brokenness. And Jesus puts the pieces back together. He heals us. I just had my eye done. I had surgery on Monday. And I, this eye I could hardly see out of because I had cataracts and getting foggier and foggier. I went to see the doctor and he said, time to take care of that problem. Okay. So I go in and he cuts my eye open. And he sucks out all that stuff in there. He didn't say it this way, but that's what he did. Sucks out all the stuff in there. And then he puts in this lens, this fake lens, and pops it in there. And then he seals it all with a laser. And I'm going, ah, you know, doing that whole thing there. I feel like I'm Frankenstein on the way. We get all done. He puts a patch in my eye, and I'm doing this thing. My wife says, stop that. (laughs) It was fun. And now... It's Sunday, it's, it's like six days later, I'm getting healed, folks. <laughs> it's changing. I'm able to see Jesus brings recovery to the blind. And my, my uh, doc there, whose name just happens to be Lee Harrison, Novick, <laughs> said, he said, you know, Pastor, what you do is such a great thing. He said, he said but what I do, he said, I love it. He says, because I get to give sight to those who can't see. I went, man, dude. I said, that's just not fair. You know, I said, but you get paid for it really good, too. (laughs) Amazing things God can bring into life. The healings he wants to do so we can see. Sight to the blind. We begin to see what life is meant to be, what relationships are meant to be. We begin to value things that are valuable. Recognize things that are not. So what are we called to do? And we're on the back page of that outline then. So what are we supposed to do? Well, we're called as the people of God. We're called as the people of God to serve others, never to save others. We're called to serve others, never to save others. If you help the poor, you're lending to the Lord, it tells us in Proverbs. But the cry of God is to say, you need to serve the poor. Not try to save them. We're called to bring relief, restoration, and relationship to those that are poor around us. I was so poor. I was so poor. And someone came alongside me and step by step by step began to show me how to live life. I had no idea. My mindset was one of poverty. It was one of hate. It was one of bitterness. And they changed my understanding 
is they introduce me to a relationship with Jesus. And that's what he does with us. He changes our hearts and our minds and our ability to respond one to another. You see, first of all, he does this with relief. This is the immediate temporary help during a crisis. Someone comes up to me and says, I have this desperate need. So let's say, let's say John Nelson. Okay, John? Because if he stands up, you could see him anyway. So he's sitting down, you can still see him. So John Nelson comes up to me and says, you know, Lee, I really need some help. I said, what do you need, John? He says, I need, I need $1,000. I said, oh, really? He said, yeah, I'm $1,000 short on this thing. It's a crisis situation to come up. Can you help me? How do you think I'm going to respond? I'm going to give him $1,000. And here's why. I have a good relationship with John. He's not only one of my elders, he's one of my friends. Okay? And if John came to me and said, I need $1,000, I'm just going, okay, let's go to the bank. He doesn't have to explain anything to me. He doesn't have to say, well, I done it, done it. I said, no, 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 John, you know the Lord. You have a great relationship with him. You understand this. I have no problem continuing to use what God has provided for me for you because it's both of our stuff. It's not mine. It's ours. And remember that when you have more money and I need some. See, that, that's, the, that's the cry of this relational area of immediate relief. So when we have a relationship together, it's easy to give immediate relief. The hard time about giving immediate relief is the guy on the corner that says, help me, I'm starving. I'm going, well, why? Why are you starving? What brought you to this place? Me giving you $20 will help you for lunch. But then you're stuck again. So who do you have that you're in relationship with? Do you have a relationship with God? Do you have a relationship with a church, group of people who are committed to him? Do you have a relationship with a family? No, I don't have any of that. I said, okay, then that's, that's the problem. How do we get you into relationship with that? And so I try to tie in with a parachurch structure like Trellis. I get them over to Kohelath and say, at least we can get your food here. Okay, let's find you a place to stay. Oh, you're a veteran. Oh, I'm going to get you in with Mercy House. They have a great program. To begin, and you start this process, and you see if they really desire to have help. There's an immediate response, and then there's a the restoration response. You can see I've started to move from immediate. I give them a little something for the day, and I move them to restoration, developing a long-term relationship to rebuild wholeness in their life. I want to be their friend, not their savior. Now, I can't be a friend to everybody who's homeless. And you can't either. But you can be a friend to one. There's about 150 people in here. If everybody was a friend to one, ladies to another lady, guys to another guy, we'd be supportive of 150 people. Wow. That's God's calling to us. And they're not always going to do everything right. They're going to fail. That's okay. They're a friend. But we want to move them in the right direction so they begin to change their mindset. Uh, Mary and I are always involved in one-to-one discipleship. So we take people through a eight, nine, sometimes ten-week discipleship program. And we take the first program and go through it. And after we get all the way through it, they're all excited. Wow, that was so cool. And I say, yeah, make sure. Here's the memory verse you've got to do, and you've got to start this devotion. They come to me the next week, and I say, well, what's your memory verse? And they say, I didn't get it this week. I say, okay, let's meet next week. And if you've got it memorized, we'll move to number two. But if you don't, then you're not ready to continue to develop this relationship. We'll send people over to Liz. The Nelsons are getting hit today because Liz helps with finances. And so we'll send someone over to her and say, Liz, would you help them with finances? She'll say, absolutely. And she'll sit them down and say, okay, let's lay out a budget. And they go, a budget? 
Well, yeah, that's how we start with a budget. Oh, so where you? I I really don't have any money. I don't spend on anything. I just kind of exist. Well, do you have any income? Well, yeah, but I don't really want to tell you about that. Liz goes, well, uh, thank you very much for sharing with me. God bless you and have a wonderful life. I can't do anything because they won't build a relationship with me that helps them to overcome their misunderstanding of how life is supposed to be put together. That's the process of restoration. It's step by step by step. If you want to be restored, Jesus is willing to restore you. If you don't, there are other people who do. And that's the cry that comes on. We're called to care for people, not to cure them. I can't cure anybody. The story of the Good Samaritan is about helping somebody out, caring for them. But it doesn't, from that point on, talk about how he was cured of all of his problem of going out in the middle of the night and getting hit by robbers at 1 a.m. in the morning while he walked down the road. Now, I'm just making that up, by the way. I have no idea what time he got nailed by the robbers. (laughs) Don't know exactly what happened. There's some interesting stories there. But we want to help him understand how to develop a relationship that's appropriate so his life can work well. We can help, but only God can heal. So we take a risk. We do what God tells us to do with our finances so that he can change the lives that he desires to change. See, the key to trellis in other effective ministries in this area is this. They ask what the problem is. They recognize how to respond to it, and they begin to put into place opportunities for this person to be restored. And that's where parachurch ministry can be so very, very helpful because I don't know them. But they would have come up to me and said, "Uh, Lee, that guy that you're giving all the presents to? Yeah. He's a dealer. He's got plenty of money. He's just willing to take anything you're willing to give him. I'd go, oh, man. What I meant for good is used for evil. See, I don't want to hurt people. I want to. I want to help them. Great book. Who wants a copy of this book? See, all of these. Oh, yeah, young guy. Will you read it? Then you're going to give it right over here. See the blonde? After you get done. It's not an easy read, I hate to tell you. It's a, it's a heavy read. Wonderfully done. Powerfully presented. Great book. Uh, I will be getting more copies for myself. That's one I just got. That felt like the Lord wanted to tell me, give it away. Keep this going. Okay, so the last thing is we're called to go, not to stay. We're called to go, not to stay. You see, people aren't projects that we go after to help. Okay, they're people that we choose to love. We we have divided the world. This is uh, uh, Brenda Brown who says this. We've divided the world into those who need help and those who offer help, and that's not true. We all need help. How many people here need help? I need help all the time, at different times. We all need help. It's just at different times for different reasons. So we choose to be involved in the helping process. We're called to go, not stay. In other words, don't just sit and wait for someone to come to you. Go into the world. Make disciples. Make disciples. That's the last story. Jesus says this. How did you do this to these least of mine, to these brothers and sisters of mine? It was what you did for them, not what they asked you to do. You visited them in prison. You fed them when you saw they were hungry. You gave them water when you recognized they were thirsty. You responded. You went forth. Jesus tells us, go to your neighbor. 
be a neighbor to them as you see this taking place. The struggle, it's about brokenness and dependence. Music team, come on up. Their need and our response. We live in a broken world with broken relationships, but we have to begin to develop a passion for those who are hurting and struggling. We're going to watch this clip here, then the music team's going to lead us in our first song. This clip is about understanding why we do something before we choose what we choose to do and the power that's in that when you begin to love people because God has directed me to and I don't just do it because I'm supposed to. Watch it. Let's see what we got. Yo, what's up, YouTube police? This is comedian Michael Jr. Um, I just did a stand-up comedy show in Winston-Salem. That was fun. Winston-Salem, home of the, the Winstons, the Salemses. It's some good people there, like for real. Anyway, I was there doing stand-up, and I said to myself, you know what? It's break time. For those that don't know, Michael Jr.'s break time is exactly that. In the middle of my stand-up comedy, I stop doing it, sit down, and just kick it with the people. Check it out. Just some random dude. I don't even know who he is. We just start kicking it, and look what happens. Let me talk to the brother right there. Yeah, yeah. What's your name, bro? Daryl. I'm going to need you to slow down with that, bro. <laughs> For real, you're scaring the white people. You can't do that, Daryl. I'm sorry, bro. You're scaring me too, though. <laughs> wow. Well, what do you do for a living, Daryl? I work at Oak Ridge Military Academy. I'm the music director there. Musical director at Oak Ridge Musical Friends. Okay. Yeah. Cool. You got a deep voice, man. I would not want to get you mad. Jonathan, come here. He's like, oh, snap. Nine Jonathan show up. <laughs> amazing, dude. So you're a musical director. Cool. Yes, sir. All right, so um, let me get a couple. Let me get a couple bars of like uh, Amazing Grace. Can you do the first part of that? Let me hear. We didn't plan this. Just so y'all know, we didn't we didn't plan this at all. I'm just randomly talking. To, go ahead. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That bro could sing. You know what I'm saying? All right, all right. Um, now, once you give me the version, is if uh, your uncle just got out of jail, you got shot in the back when you was a kid. I'm just saying, let me see the hood version real quick. If you know which version I'm talking about, just see if that exists. Let me see what you got. Amazing. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Blah. 
There you go. Ridiculous. Dude is just sitting in the audience with all of this skill, all this talent that I don't even know about. Wonder if you got some skills and some talents that folks don't know about that you kind of hold known to. Boom. <laughs> there you go. Couple things I need you to do, like for real. Then you're just gonna laugh and then I don't want you to do nothing. That's not how this is give and take. It's not take and take. I need you to subscribe. Or just be watching the video <laughs> just to watch the video. Subscribe. Tell some friends about it. Leave a comment. I'm gonna be reading the comments for real. Me. I don't got some person reading my comments for me. Well, I got some people, but I'm reading them too. So I'm just. <laughs> anyway, if you want to come see a break time live, you should come to a Michael Jr. comedy show. Is it weird that I'm talking about myself in a third person? Yeah. Anyway. It is. Here's the big thing I want you to get on that, because I think it was such a wonderful understanding. When you know the why concerning what you're doing, it gives a passionate response to the what that you do. The first time we heard Amazing Grace, we said, that was nice. The second time you heard it, you heard passion. You heard this sense of calling. You heard this recognition that God heals broken lives. He puts us back together and he allows us this wonderful, glorious joy and peace that takes place when we get it. And that's the difference. It's about knowing the why before we go after the what. So all I would tell you here is that Jesus pulls everything together. He holds everything together. He heals brokenness. And he calls us to be involved in it. You just need to ask him right now as we meditate for the next five minutes or so. And ask him to speak to us. Lord, what is it you're asking me to do? How am I supposed to be involved in this healing process? That's it. Lord, speak as only you can. For you are God. We are not. Just allow the Lord to speak to you and determine what it is he has. 